0: This is episode number 51 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, Individual Number One is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the bi-weekly program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective because, unfortunately, no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. Unlike the corporate media, we at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been compromised or co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual Pod. That's individual one pod at our Twitter handle. You can find now all eight parts of my epic, long eight-part series for Mediite, detailing the evolution of the history of the news media and its loss of credibility and the rise of Donald Trump to the presidency. We have a link uh, there, uh, which you can find also at FreeSpeechBroadcasting.com, where you can access all eight pieces from that eight-part series all in one link, or you can find them individually at our Individual One Pod uh, Twitter account. I urge you to do so because it really gives you a unique and important perspective on how we got here and where we're heading now. Now, the last two episodes of the Individual One Podcast, I have uh, talked about how I am conflicted, (laughs) literally conflicted, regarding the candidacy of Joe Walsh the uh, former congressman, now former radio talk show host, who has announced he is running against Donald Trump for the Republican uh, presidential nomination, because Joe and I have had extensive conversations leading up to his announcement, which was a week ago today that he is, in fact, throwing his hat into the ring for the GOP nomination. And that while we had had some very productive conversations and we had even talked on two different occasions about me potentially even working uh, for his campaign in an official capacity, uh, at the time period of his announcement, he basically disappeared, that we had numerous phone calls that were scheduled that never happened. He, he would uh, you know, get to the time when the phone call was supposed to occur and then delay it, and then it would never happen. And this is the kind of thing that I have to acknowledge – Uh, We all have our pet peeves, but for me, this is a huge one because I have two small kids, and for me to schedule a legitimate phone call is a big stinking deal during the day. (laughs) I have to move heaven and earth. I have to schedule my whole day around it. I need to make sure that my wife is taking care of the kids, and then for that to happen and then not actually occur is incredibly frustrating, and when this happens, I'm I'm more than willing to allow for this to happen once or twice, but when it happens time and time again, uh, I get uh, ticked off, especially when it's somebody who I consider to be a friend, like Joe, and who I know I can help, uh, even in an unofficial capacity. So this was a source of frustration. Uh, I didn't know exactly how to handle this on the podcast, especially until I had spoken to Joe. Uh, on an individual basis, on a personal basis, on the phone. We did that a few days ago. We had a very good conversation. We hashed some things out. He apologized, which I appreciated, and he agreed to come on the podcast today. So this will offer a, a really good opportunity uh, for basically the full hour to get in all, into all of the issues uh, related to this candidacy in a way that you probably haven't heard yet, because uh, Joe and I have a very good relationship, and uh, we're very honest with each other, and it's always interesting uh, when we have a discussion. So let's do that now. Republican presidential candidate Joe Welsh, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, John, always good to be with you, man. Now, Joe, I've already uh, briefly uh, given kind of a disclaimer uh, about uh, our interaction before your announcement that you were going to run against Donald Trump for the Republican presidential nomination, uh, just kind of uh, detailing that we'd had numerous discussions leading up to this, and then uh, I kind of got frustrated that uh, you disappeared uh, during that process, and now we've we've gotten back in touch and you agreed to do the podcast. Could you give us, uh, just for fairness sake, uh, your perspective on, on uh, our interaction leading up to your announcement to, to run for president.
1: Yeah, and, and John, always good to be with you. No excuse. Uh, always I'll give an explanation. I've always uh, valued your wisdom and your expertise. Look, I've never run for president before. The last month or so prior to launching last week was probably the craziest, most helter skelter uh, month of my life, uh, pulling this together. I spoke to a bunch of people. Uh, and I know, especially with you, man, no excuse, uh, uh, I did not keep in touch nearly as well enough as I should have with you. And all I can say is I'm, I'm, I'm running for president and things got a little bit away from me as we jumped into this launch. And for that, I will always, be, uh, uh, just, uh, apologize to you for because I, I really do value you, which is why I always like to speak with
0: you. And I appreciate that. And look, I have, I've never been in uh, the kind of media firestorm that you've been in the last couple of weeks, but I've been in some media firestorms, and I get it. I get yeah. i get that it – I mean, by the way, can you give us a sense uh, along those lines of – from a personal standpoint, I don't think people understand. I mean, you don't have a, any kind of a massive infrastructure here, and, and you're right. in the middle of this media firestorm. What's that like? From a personal level, how crazy is it in your life, Joe?
1: It's like you know, John. It's it's literally like over the course of a twenty four hour a day day, and I don't sleep sleep much anymore. You literally you go through about a hundred. I'm not exaggerating. Super highs and a hundred super lows, all in the course of one day. It is it's physically tiring, but it's it's mentally exhausting the ups and downs every day. I mean, I've run for Congress before. I've served in Congress. But uh, announcing a week ago today that I was running for president, the response has been, I- I- I've never experienced something like this.
0: Both good and bad, I'm assuming.
1: Yeah, you know what, John? I uh, The, the uh, amount of the coverage, just the amount of the coverage um, due to my uh, launch, my announcing, has blown me away. There's been plenty of good, bad, and ugly coverage, but the amount has blown me away.
0: All right, let's talk about, uh, first of all, why are you doing this? Why have you decided that you're going to essentially leave your nationally syndicated radio show for Salem, because you, yeah. can't, you can't do both, uh, to, to run for the Republican nomination for president against an incumbent with, uh, by all accounts, an 80% approval rate among Republicans? Why would you do this, Joe? Because
1: I think the guy in the White House is completely and utterly unfit to be president, And it's a danger to this country. And if this guy has four more years, John, uh, I fear for this country. A Republican needed to stand up and say that. Uh, Are there better Republicans out there? That's up for people to decide. But I'm running because that needs to be said. I believe most Republicans privately agree with me that he's completely unfit.
0: But you realize you can't win, right?
1: No, I intend to win. I wouldn't do. And and John, let me let me put it like this. Uh, And I'm not trying to be cute or coy. There's no way in hell I would do this unless I wanted to win, unless I was going to try to win, unless I expected to win. I mean, this last week I've probably aged a year. Uh, (laughs) I would, I will imagine this upcoming week will be even more difficult. There's no way I'd put myself through this if I did not intend to or want to win. I think I saw an interview with Mark Sanford. Uh, a couple days ago who's thinking about running, and he said, like, oh, if I do, I'll do it. I don't th- I, I'm not going to win, but I want to do this or that. I, I don't know how you could challenge a sitting president if you did not want to or expected
0: to win. So then how do you do this? How do you pull off this kind of a miracle? And it would be the biggest miracle in the history, or at least modern history, of, of American politics. So how how do you do that?
1: Well, again, just one data point. Donald Trump is president. Uh, four years ago, if you and I, John, were sitting around having a beer and I was to tell you that Donald Trump was going to be president, you would throw that beer at me. So all bets are off. Anything now right can happen in American politics, John. Here's the bet I'm making, and I could be wrong. Uh, our, our campaign slogan is be brave. I really do believe that privately the vast majority of Republican voters know that this guy is unfit, and they're just damn tired of it. They're tired of all the drama. They're tired of all the BS. They just don't say that publicly. My campaign is going to try to get them to be brave enough to come out and say publicly what they do believe privately.
0: You and I spoke a lot uh, leading into this uh, about even if you, if you don't end up winning, that there's still a potential value in somebody doing this, if only from the perspective of history and principle, so that it is marked down forever that Trump did not uh, win, be handed the Republican nomination for re-election, that there's value just in that. Can you talk about that?
1: Like you, John Ziegler, I believe in free trade, I believe in free markets, I believe in freedom, I believe in opportunity for everybody, I believe in limited government, the rule of law, uh, and balanced budgets, things that the Republican Party at one time used to say they believe in. Uh, this president is opposed to all of those principles. For there not to be a Republican to stand up and challenge him in the primary and say, I believe in free trade, and you don't. I believe that anybody, no matter what color they are, if they come to America legally, we want them. That's not what this president believes. Uh, just, just, to, just to put that on the record, that this is what the Republican Party should stand for, a rule of John, finally, I'll just say truly, time this president, you and I believe in the truth. I think most Republicans do. I think most Americans do. We can't, we can't abide by a president who lies, to us like this guy does.
0: And I agree with that. And, and you've already referenced the idea that, look, you did this uh, because largely no one else was willing or able to do it. If someone else with maybe more national name recognition, it, like, for instance, if John Kasich had already gotten into the race, would you have gotten into this?
1: Uh, probably not. In, in two points, John. I've been waiting all year for somebody to challenge him. And I've been waiting all year for somebody to say, because I think this is the only reason you challenge Trump. It's a referendum on him. He's a horrible human being who is not loyal to this country. He's not fit. Somebody needs to make that case. Bill Weld, who I love, former governor of Massachusetts, great guy, he's not making that case. Mark Sanford, who's thinking in the deficit, that's a nice issue, but you don't challenge Trump to have a conversation. You challenge Trump's unfit. If somebody better than me, John, had stepped up to make that case, somebody with more name, I, more grouch, um heck yes, I wouldn't be doing this.
0: Now, I don't anticipate either of these things happening, but let's say, what if Trump if decided not to run for re-election and endorsed, uh, say, Vice President Pence uh, for the nomination? Would you stay in?
1: I guess I'll answer it like this, John. Donald Trump cannot get re-elected, period. I don't think he should get the Republican. somebody out there better than me who can make certain better than I can that those two things... Don't happen, then then I will get out. If if somebody has a better chance of wrestling this nomination away from Trump, then yeah, I mean, because c- to me, John, that's the greater cause. This mm-hmm. guy cannot get reelected. Um, I and we have to do everything in our power to make sure that doesn't happen.
0: Right, and you're making the case, and the reason why I'm asking these questions is that. I think it shows that you're doing what you think is in the best interest of the country, because, it, right? I mean, because a lot of people yeah. have, have suggested that this is a, a, just a way of Joe Walsh increasing his name ID. Uh, he's a you know radio talk show host, and that, that this is what his real motivation is. But what you're telling is a very different story than that.
1: Oh, uh, and that's that. that I, I get so tired of that bullshit, John you. <laughs> You and I have talked over the last couple of years. I'm a, I'm a never-Trumper in, in conservative talk radio. Look, if I cared about my popularity, if I cared about how much money I was making and my ratings, I'd be like a Sean Hannity or I'd be like all the rest, and I'd sing this guy's praises every day. I say what I believe, period. And I believe this guy in the White House right now is a danger to this country. Uh, that case needs to be made because I worry for the country. I'm not doing this. John, this is the biggest pain-in-the-butt thing I've ever done. I wouldn't do this for uh, attention or added publicity. Oh, my God, no way. Uh, and, And, again, the point is the country, and if there's somebody out there who can better make the case that Donald Trump is unfit, Joe Walsh will warmly embrace that candidate,
0: and I think that's important for you to point out. Now, as far as Weld and Sanford, are they actually running? Because I I, I can't tell if they are or are they not. What's the status of that situation?
1: I, I want to. I like both men, and both men politically, I I, uh, I agree with on a lot of issues. They're both good men, but to me, John, you don't do this unless you're willing to give up everything and fight every day and punch this president every day and call him out every day and every day stand on your soapbox and say we can be better than what Trump is. Respectfully, I don't, I don't see Bill Well doing any of that. And I don't know if Mark Sanford is getting in. What I've heard is that if he gets in again, he's concerned about the debt and the deficit, and he wants to start a conversation about that. I don't like the debt and the deficit either, but my God, that's not a reason to run against Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Mark Sanford, uh, John, was on Meet the Press two weeks ago, and Chuck Todd asked him, if you lose to Trump in the primary, will you vote for Trump in the general? And Mark Sanford said yes. Mm -hmm. I about spilled my coffee all (laughs) over myself. How the hell... Why the hell would you primary somebody who's a danger to this country and then vote for him next year? That makes no sense to me. All
0: right, Let's talk a little bit about uh, your campaign uh, and, and where you think it's going. The most important thing, I think, for a lot of people, including in the media, but even some voters, and I've had people on Twitter ask me about this, is getting on the ballot. Uh, And obviously, uh, Iowa and New Hampshire are are the the first uh, uh, major battles, uh, the Iowa caucus and the New Hampshire primary. What can you promise us about whether or not you will be on the ballot and to what extent you'll be on the ballot nationwide?
1: No political spin, John. We've got good people and good lawyers working on this. We expect to be on the ballot in every single state. It's no secret that the Trump administration, along with the Republican Party, is doing everything they can do to prevent primary challenges to Trump. Uh, again, I, I we, we've got really good people working on this, and many of the states are actually pretty easy to get in. There are some states that are a challenge, but we expect to be on every ballot. That, that, that's certainly the campaign we're running.
0: Now, uh, there's been a lot of speculation that uh, George Conway, the husband of Kellyanne Conway, who has been a a major critic of the president, one of the best critics on Twitter that there is of uh, Donald Trump, that he may uh, join your campaign. I know he's been supportive of you, uh, at least on Twitter. Is George Conway going to be part of your campaign?
1: I hope so. To date, John, he's been a huge help. Uh, I really do believe that George Conway is maybe the most patriotic devoted American out there right now. I mean, his wife is working for this administration and George Conway sticks his neck out every single day because he believes in his head and his heart. What I do that this country's, uh, this president's unfit into danger. I, I give, I give him so much credit for doing what he's doing and I hope to continue to have his great Help and advice as we
0: move forward. But he hasn't committed to being part of the campaign officially yet, has he?
1: No, no. And we'll see if that happens. But it's, it's been an honor to get to know him and to just receive his advice.
0: And what about Anthony Scaramucci? Uh, have you had any discussions directly or indirectly with him? Because obviously he has become a much more vociferous uh, critic of the president and has uh, also suggested that Trump cannot be the Republican nominee. Any, any contact with him?
1: Uh, I have not had direct contact. There's been indirect contact people I've been speaking with. I've been speaking with them. I anticipate speaking with Scaramucci uh, pre- pretty soon. And, and John, it, it, what, what's interesting is whether whether people love me. I mean, there needs to be an alternative to Trump, again, and uh, somebody who, who says we can do a lot better than this guy. Um, but then there's there's the political ramifications here. I'll just say it. If, if Trump's at the top of our ticket in 2020, Trump's going to get killed, and it's going to be a bloodbath for Republicans up and down the ballot. Right now, because of Trump, young people hate the Republican brand. Women hate the Republican band brand. People living in the suburbs hate the Republican brand, and people of color can't stand the Republican brand. That's all because of Trump. So he's he's if he's at the top of the ticket, He's leading us into a Republican bloodbath next year.
0: All right. Let's go back uh, to your history, because um, obviously, you know, people are going to vote for you uh, for president of the United States. They need to know, uh, you know, your background, where you came from, uh, how you got to where you are. And there's a lot of things about you that are very interesting and, and very much against uh, the conventional wisdom of, of where everyone else yeah. in, in this industry has gone. So let's go back before Trump was a major political figure. You know, you were this fire-breathing Tea Party conservative, uh, later-turned-talk-show host after after one term in Congress. You said a lot of incendiary things. Uh, some of which you've apologized for, uh, some of which surprised me a little bit in, in seeing some yeah. of the old twi- tweets because uh, they, some of them were pretty incendiary. I'm not sure any of them were overtly racist, but they certainly toyed wow. with being racist. Uh, um, could you explain to people what that was all about and, and what you were, why, why those <laughs> tweets? Where did they come from, Joe?
1: That's, that's a great question, John. Look, Yeah, I went to Congress in 2010, part of the Tea Party class. We were pissed off at both political parties for bankrupting future generations. And I was at the tip of the spear, along with others, in those fights for a number of years. And oftentimes, John, because I'm so outspoken, I got over my skis and things I said. Oftentimes, I said things that were personal and offensive. Oftentimes, I said things that were unduly hateful. I'm just very outspoken. I think in the last six years, I think I've got almost 65,000 tweets. If you, John Ziegler, went through my 65,000 tweets, you'd find a couple hundred that would make your eyebrows rise. Um, And what's interesting, John, is, look, I, I don't think I'm racist. I'm not racist. I think we're all biased. I think we're all prejudiced. I think we're all capable of saying racist things. I push the envelope. I'm provocative. Uh, I, there's no doubt I have a history of getting in people's faces with things I believe, like Obama. It, it, but, but when I look back, oftentimes I let my policy differences with Obama get personal. Um, I, I regret all of that. And I, I, made a, I made a pledge to myself about a year and a half ago, John, that and it, it was really because of Trump, because Trump kind of woke me up, because that's all he does that I was done, I mean, done engaging in personal hateful
0: politics. One of the things that surprised me most about your old tweets was that uh, it appears as if, at least at one point, that you believed in the birtherism theory regarding... No. Okay, so you did not believe in birtherism.
1: No, got no. And see, this is what pisses me off about the media. I went on with Chris Matthews like four or five nights ago. And that's all Matthews wanted to talk about, that, Joe, you were a birther. I was never a birther. I never even gave birtherism the time of day. I think, Uh, and then Chris Matthews hauled up one or two tweets where I joked about Obama's birth certificate. Maybe over the course of the last six years, once or twice, I joked about it. I was never, ever, ever part of the birther movement.
0: So you never believed that Barack Obama was not born in America? No. No okay
1: and And i think hey john i think the confusion is because we conflate all of this i mean yeah you could pull up a few tweets where i said obama's a muslim again a totally different issue but when people see or hear that they think oh joe walsh was a birther no joe Walsh never and
0: i agree and by the way that's way beyond the media's comprehension i understand and look i don't I don't personally, my opinion is that Barack Obama is uh, agnostic. I don't think he has any religion. I don't think, uh, right. be, I mean, that's my personal opinion about uh, you don't know what's in a man's heart, but I, I see no evidence that he is of any particular religion. You said he's a Muslim. That's not the same thing as saying he was born in Kenya, for instance. Um, but, but, right.
1: the- yeah, you're right, John. To- two totally different things. And so, so I was not a birther, but. Having said, and I've, a, this is probably the thing I most regret that I've ever said or tweeted was saying that Obama was a Muslim. And I said it to be provocative. I said it to take a personal shot at him. But it was wrong because even though you say, John, that you believe he's not of any religion. Uh, Barack Obama himself says he's a Christian, right? And so I, I I take him at his word. There's nothing wrong with being a Muslim, but Obama says he's Christian, right? So in essence, I was accusing Obama of lying, and and that's not right.
0: I hear you. That's a, that's a good explanation. Now you've been accused over the last week or so uh, because of these tweets of being a racist. Is Joe Walsh a racist?
1: God, no. <laughs> God, no. What, what Joe Walsh is, is a guy who is obsessed with the issue of race. I spent a good portion of my life working in the inner city in Chicago, helping young black and brown and white students go to good schools, find schools of choice. I, 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 I work with a great black pastor on Chicago side, on Chicago's South side. I've got a podcast, a weekly podcast with a black radio host in Chicago, right. where we talk about race and racism. I push the envelope on race, John, mm-hmm. and I, I, I deplore political correctness. So oftentimes over the years, I've said very provocative things when it comes to race just to get people thinking and to start mm-hmm. dialogues.
0: Right. I, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, now, <laughs> I, I, I do think it's been a bit bizarre to see how the media has vetted you a, a, a candidacy that they all they, they all acknowledge has very little chance of of actually uh, turning out to be yeah. uh, you know in the White House. So, but they've, they I believe that they've more intensely vetted you for your past comments than they they did Donald Trump. Uh, do you agree with that?
1: You and, and I think you've written some amazing pieces, John, on this. It, it's actually history will look back and, and again, John, you've written on this. In a weird way, Donald Trump was like the least vetted candidate in presidential history. Right. It's like, it's like we all gave him a pass because he was such a weird, odd guy who could get on TV like that. But you're right. I mean, nobody really looked at who he was. And, and John, nobody took him seriously. Nobody thought he'd win.
0: It's almost like they're, I don't know, I mean, because you're not a celebrity and therefore you don't have that celebrity protection, or maybe there's a little bit of guilt that, uh, wait a minute, we can't let this happen again, we're going to make sure we vet a guy uh, in 2020 that we we did not vet in 2016. Uh, What is your interpretation of why the media has decided that it's not hypocritical to hold you accountable for things that they never held Donald Trump accountable for?
1: Maybe you're right in that they don't want to get burned a second time, but I'll say this, John again generally i'm I'm fine with the way the media has handled me this first week. There's been a lot of coverage um, and look, John, part of my candidacy is it's it's it's, it's the apology i mean i I'm, I would unlike you and I respect you for what you did, I was not a never trumper from the beginning. I voted for Trump. Um, Trump's voters were my voters. Trump's voters were my radio show listeners. And so when I've said publicly that I apologize for the role I played in putting him in the White House, I mean it, and I always figured that would be part of my candidacy. I, I, I feel bad for helping put Trump there, and now I'm doing what I can to make sure he doesn't win again. So I always thought that would be part of the story.
0: Well, let's talk about that evolution, because I'm fascinated by this, and I think it's really important for people to understand your evolution on Trump, to be able to evaluate your candidacy against him. Why were, yeah. you ever, why were you ever supportive of Donald Trump? I, I, the, the Joe Walsh I know uh, <laughs> w- would have seen through this obvious liberal con man from a mile away. Why, were, was it because you were a talk show host and, and you knew it was good for business? Or and were, you, were you intoxicated by that? Or explain to me what happened to your brain during that period of time.
1: <laughs> I guess I was slow at the take. Look. Um, I didn't support Trump during the primary. I was a Rand Paul guy. When Trump won the primary and it was Trump against Hillary, here's what I figured, John. Uh, I just, I figured Donald Trump is a goof. Uh, Remember, he blocked me on Twitter like in December of 2015 because I said some bad, I said some things about him. So he and I have never, like, been friendly. I just figured Trump's a goof. He'll hire a few good people, and maybe a few good things would happen. Um, He wasn't Hillary. I never liked Trump. I never loved him. But he wasn't Hillary. And you and I talked about that in real time. And I really respect your position. And there's part of me that wishes I had taken your position. I just figured he's a goof. Maybe a couple good things will come of it. Um, I, I quickly realized into that first year that this guy's bad, and he lies every time he opens his mouth.
0: All right, now you and I have both done talk radio uh, in different ways, and and, and you know, yeah. but we know the industry, and and, and yeah. I and you know, I, I'm cynical about humanity in general, but I'm particularly cynical about talk show hosts. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I mean, I I happen to believe that talk radio in the era of Trump is basically maybe one level either above or below prostitution. Uh, but yeah. I mean, do you agree with that? By the way
1: absa <laughs> frickin
0: Okay. So you agree, yes. You we both agree that talk radio in the era of Trump is basically prostitution. So I'm inherently cynical, uh, and we've already referenced this a little bit, but I want you to, to, to re-address uh, this issue of of how it is that all every other talk show host has gone in the exact opposite direction on Trump than you have every single one even glenn beck who during the 2016 yeah. election was anti-trump has now become pro-trump all because of this gravitational pull of the audience and careerism so why would joe all and, and i'm i i want to hear this i want to understand it i'm inherently at least somewhat cynical about it why would only joe walsh go in the opposite direction of that that's
1: just fascinating the way you framed that john look you know the deal, they all, it's money ratings, and they want to be near the king. They want to be loved by the king, so they wash the king's feet every day. That's what, I mean, just think Seb Gorka, right? All, if you want to know what conservative talk radio is like these days, just think Seb Gorka, and that's it. Look, John, and I'm like you in this regard, uh, I every day I was on talk radio, I grabbed my microphone, and I said what I believed. I don't know how anybody could do talk radio and not say what they believe. Now, the Hannity's, the Gallagher's, and the Gorkers of the world, they all say what they think their audience wants to hear. And right now, 80% of my audience is pro-Trump, and they want to hear Trump walks on water every day. I never said that because I didn't believe it. It made it increasingly difficult over the weeks, months, and years for me to hang on to talk radio because, look, Salem, who I worked for, private company, they can do whatever they want. And if they want Trump cheerleaders on their radio, they can have them. But, you know, they worked me pretty hard to kind of tow me and get me to tow the, the company line, but I, I just couldn't do it.
0: And and by the way, just for the record, so you're no longer on your national show. Are you still doing your local Chicago show?
1: So I, I, I'm done as of as of yesterday. Okay. I'm done with all of my talk radio. And Uh, local in Chicago and national. Again, John, not a surprise. I'm a candidate for president. I figured it would happen. And Salem wants people who are pro-Trump.
0: Right. I I, I get that, uh, obviously, and I think the audience does as well. Now, um, speaking of the conservative media, the conservative media reaction to your announcement, um, (laughs) how how would you describe the conservative media reaction to your announcement?
1: How dare you even contemplate challenging my king? That's it. How dare you? Who are you to challenge my Lord and Savior? How dare you? John, I've been blown away by, like, in social media, how all the Trump people have just come out and just pounded me. And conservative talk, uh, conservative media.
0: Now, just for the record, because I want to make sure we get this uh, as as part of uh, the historical uh, factual record, did you offer your announcement to Fox News Channel? I mean, you ended up announcing on uh, This Week with George Stephanopoulos, but did you offer it to Fox News Channel and say Chris Wallace on his Sunday morning show?
1: Um, No. I'm trying to think, John, and I'm trying to give you the most honest answer I can. I know we were in discussions with meet the press and this week on ABC and uh... this week uh... We just decided to do it because it's a great show, and they really wanted it well
0: no I don't, I, and, and I, don't, I, I don't have a problem with the fact that you did it on this week because it's the it's the uh, the largest most credible audience you can get on a Sunday morning and it's the best way for you to have announced but if if you and I were still in contact during this time period, I would have demanded that you send an email offering it to Chris Wallace because he would have rejected and then you could have used that as a news story then that uh, you're
1: right, John. That would have been a great idea. I do not believe we did that.
0: Right. And so my, my point here is you need to, to, make, to create the narrative that this is all part of the Trump cult, that there is... There's an yeah. organized effort against your candidacy. Um, my friends at Mediaite did some research, and on the day that you announced, Fox News Channel, at least as of late in the afternoon that day, had only even mentioned your candidacy three <laughs> times, and, and they had all been short mentions with no guests, including, obviously, yourself. Um, I'm assuming that well, doesn't you surprise you.
1: No, no, and, and I look. I don't expect Fox News to have me on much, if at all. I went on with Stuart Varney uh, Friday, and I don't think Stuart Varney's having me on again. So I, you're right. I I expect that, that the Trump state media network will probably
0: ignore me. Let's talk about the Stuart Varney appearance. It got a lot of play on social media. It was extraordinary, not necessarily for what you said, but what first what Stuart Varney said, where he, uh, when questioned by you, uh, tr- tried to claim that the President of the United States, Donald Trump, has never lied, uh, and you were stupefied. Uh, give us, first of all, how did that appearance even take place in the first place? How did Fox News Channel even, you know, how did it happen that you were even on the program? And, and then take us through what actually happened when you were on that show.
1: Well, they asked the son. Uh, And I I figured, because Varney is one of Trump's biggest cheerleaders, so I just figured, John, that he wanted me on to go after me. And when I was sitting there all mic'd up and I was ready to go on, I heard Varney deliver his promo to the segment with Joe Walsh. and He ripped me in the the promo that I'm going to have this guy on who's challenging our president, and he has his own bigoted history. So I figured Varney was going to go after me right out of the gate. And he did. And he asked me why I was running. And I went through my litany that Trump is unfit. He lies virtually every time he opens his mouth. And the minute I said that, John, Varney got really upset. How dare you say our president lies or something like that? And so then that led to that exchange where by the end of it, I just asked him a simple question. Stuart, has this president ever told a lie to the American people? And he said no. And I was, you said, stupefied. I was speechless. I just I had nothing left. I I couldn't imagine that.
0: To me, when I watched that, it felt like it was right out of the pages of George Orwell's 1984 book. Uh, did you <laughs> do, do you agree with that?
1: Yes. Oh, totally, John. Totally. He was like a robot. No. No. And then later on in the segment, John, when he went after some of my old tweets, I said, yes, yeah, Stuart, and I apologized for that one. That was a bad thing for me to tweet. I asked him another question. I said, Stuart, have you ever heard this president apologize for anything? And Stuart Barney said, no, and he never needs to. <laughs> and again, I was like, stupefied.
0: Yeah. Well, but, but I think what this illustrates, though, is that th- certainly the conservative media and much and probably a majority of, I don't know what the exact percentage is, uh, but much of the Republican Party as a whole has become a cult in the era of Trump. Yeah. You agree with that, right?
1: That would be the John Ziegler cult 45.
0: Yeah, so you, but you, you agree that that exists, correct? I do. So how do you convince cult members, which is what you're going to have to do if you were ever to win the yeah. nomination, how do you convince cult members to see the light about their Lord and Savior?
1: Because, uh, John, and, and t- so take Trump's line um generally and this is this is the first issue that really moved me away from trump because i can't have my president lie to me no matter who he is but over the course of the last couple of years whenever i bring up this issue on the radio show most of my listeners all trumpians would say um joe i know he lies but the democrats are bad but deep down i think even most of my listeners trump supporters are bothered that Elon feels squeamish. I just, I, John, I think that look right now, um, Trump is tweeting us into a recession. I really do believe because I heard it over and over from Republican voters who listened on my show. They're sick of his daily. They're sick of the daily tweets insulting people. Uh, they're sick of his drama. And so if if like the economy starts to slow down, and and, and now I got to put up with all this other Trump crap. I just think most Republican voters don't want that anymore.
0: What does success for your candidacy look like, Joe? What's success?
1: A, I beat him, and I'm the Republican nominee, uh, and I go beat a Democrat in in next November. Uh, B, if I can't beat him, John, then uh, these things that you and I believe in that were way better than Trump, that, that... that we believe in freedom, free trade, free markets, opportunity for all, limited government, the rule of law, that these issues have a hearing, not so much for the Republican Party, but just to get it on the record that this is what we believe in, and we're not bigoted and cruel and dishonest like this president, that somehow that message gets on the record. And, John, I'll say this. I think Trump loses. If Trump's our nominee, he loses in November. And I think he loses badly. And, and so after Trump loses, and by the way, every Republican's going to lose with Trump at the ticket, but after he loses, there's going to be a food fight. You know, all the Rubios and Cruz's are going to come out from hiding under their desks. And they're going to want to be, because, John, they're all waiting for Trump to lose. Uh, Romney and Kasich and Rubio and Cruz. They're all waiting for him to lose in 2020. They want him to lose, and then they want to thump their chest and say, look at me. I'm the Republican Party now. There's going to be a food fight for what the Republican Party is.
0: Yeah, I'm not optimistic about how that food fight's going to turn out, but we can talk about that sometime in the future. But you and I have talked off the air about it. I believe that somebody sometime soon is going to pull. This race, whether they use you against Trump one on one or whether they use you against Trump and and Bill Weld and and Mark Sanford together. And it's my concern that uh, the numbers are going to be horrific when and if that happens. Probably in the next week or so, and that at that point the media will turn off the faucet and decide, okay, uh, we, we, you know, Joe Walsh had his his moment and it didn't work, and uh, now we're just going to ignore whatever Joe Walsh does. Uh, Do you share that concern, and, and do you have any thoughts on what that polling data would be if if and when it comes out?
1: Uh, no idea, John, on what the polling will show. I will tell you that it's 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 my campaign's job. It's my job to make sure they don't turn that faucet off. and And all I can try to do and tell you that, unlike any Republican primary challenge to him out there right now, we're gonna campaign hard every single day. We're gonna get in his face every day. we're gonna we're gonna use TV and videos and a bunch of different mediums and platforms to very energetically and creatively make the case that he's unfit and we can do better. I hope we can get to the point where the media just can't ignore us.
0: One thing I I neglected to mention, but I've got to because I should have done this in the section where I talked about the conservative media. To the extent that the conservative media has not ignored you, one of the things that they've tried to bring up is this uh, HBO, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, uh, situation, <laughs> yeah. where, where you were basically, and I, I, I think I got this right, you were basically tricked into uh, an interview with him. He's the comedian. Uh, he did this to yeah. many other people, and, and you gave some answers that, that seemed to be uh, rather strange. Uh, do, you, do you have anything, any insight you can provide us on what really happened there that, that, that people can understand uh, that circumstance a little bit better?
1: Oh, no, Josh. I Sasha Baron Cohen got me. He tricked me about a year and a half ago. I thought I was getting a big award as a friend of Israel. Turns out that he just wanted me to say 30 seconds of, like, five-year-olds should be trained and armed in, in how to use guns. Uh, it wasn't Sasha Baron Cohen, by the way. He wasn't there, but it was his people. It was an elaborate ruse, and they got me, and they tricked me into saying something stupid. And all I can do is just laugh at it. Oh, because good. I got got in in the world today, this happens. And no, I don't believe that five or six year olds should be trained and armed. But he got me. He's a funny guy, and he got me.
0: Well, I I think that's a good response. By the way, I happen to think that um, that at some point in your campaign, you guys should reach out to Sasha Baron Cohen because I think he might uh, do a, a a funny video with you. Because my guess is he doesn't like God, Trump. That's
1: a great- that's a great idea, and I think he would. That's a great idea.
0: Yeah, I think you would, you would benefit. Both Both of you would benefit from that, and it might go viral. Yeah. Um, now, uh, you mentioned your slogan is Be Brave. I, I don't mind that. Yes. I don't mind Be Brave. Uh, except for the fact that in my experience, very, 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 very few people are actually brave. Uh, so you're, so you're counting on, you're basically counting on 2% of the population, Joe. Uh, in, in my estimation, that's the, the percentage that is actually brave. So I'm not sure that that's where I would have gone. Uh, I get it. I understand it. Uh, it's, it's not bad. Uh, I had suggested to you, America is greater than this. Uh, why didn't you like America is greater than this?
1: Well, that's not bad either, John. And, and understand, be brave is important because it's like the thesis of my campaign. Again, that Republicans privately are sick and tired of this guy, and they know he's unfit. And they got to come out and publicly be brave. But, but, but it's, what I'm finding as I, as I go through this now is we got to be better. Uh, I mean, we, we can't have a pathological pathological liar as a president. We got to be better. We can't have a malignant narcissist as president. We got to be better. We should be better than this. And again, when I that. say that, John, most Republicans know that. They just don't have an alternative. I got to become their alternative. that alternative.
0: Yeah. Well, as as Elijah Cummings has often said.
1: We're better than
0: that. Yeah, um, but but see, <laughs> but see, what I liked was the fact that you're using Trump's own slogan against him. America yeah. is greater is as opposed to make yeah. America is greater than this. To me, it covered all the bases, uh, and, it oh, did, and it didn't and it didn't require bad, people not, to be brave. Well, apparently, it's not good enough for you to use. <laughs> so, <laughs> so. Who knows?
1: maybe Be Brave will become that. Who knows?
0: All right, okay.
1: This, especially this first month, I want to get
0: people out. We'll see. All right. Joe, thanks so much for uh, finally getting back in touch with me, first of all. You got <laughs> it. Oh, I got I mean, to ask. You and I are going to see each other within a week. Well, yeah, we're we're planning on doing that, but I I got to. I have to. I totally blanked on this one. What about the uh, the Daily Beast uh, story that your original campaign manager that you ghosted him for eight days uh, prior to announcing? Uh, I I didn't. I would not have believed that except for the fact that uh, you kind of ghosted me for a few days. So what was that? What was that all about? Just
1: silliness again. It was a crazy month. I spoke to a lot of people. I never had a previous campaign manager. I heard from a lot of good people. It's just not a story. Cranking up a campaign for presidency, president like this, is a big, complicated deal. And yeah, I probably made a number of mistakes in the last month and a half.
0: It's important to point out that that guy who you allegedly ghosted uh, still supports you. So, you know, yeah. which is which is which is saying a lot. It says a lot about Trump, and it says a lot about you too, Joe. Um, uh, all right, uh, how, where can people go to support your campaign, Joe?
1: JoeWalsh.org. JoeWalsh.org.
0: And uh, they can uh, follow you on Twitter at, uh, what, Walsh Freedom? Is at that right? Walsh Freedom? At Walsh Freedom. At Walsh Freedom. Freedom. All yeah. right, thanks so much for your time, Joe, and we'll, uh, we'll see you soon. You're the best. Thanks, John. Thanks to Joe for um, his time and also his honesty. I think you can understand just from listening there. I mean, this is a guy who does not back down from any question. It's, and it's so refreshing, obviously, in comparison to Donald Trump. Uh, You might not always agree with him, Uh, you might uh, even disagree with uh, his interpretation of of his own past uh, history and events, but he's being upfront and honest about it. And uh, he's not afraid to take on any particular topic, and he tells it like he sees it. And it's ironic that that's the reputation among the cultists that Trump has when it's the exact opposite. I mean, Trump is a pathological liar. And in that way, uh, Joe, I do think, provides an interesting and good contrast. A real conservative, a guy who was actually Trump before there was Trump, only based in actual conservative principles, but who is honest about it, as opposed to a guy who's a fake, a guy who's a liberal con man, uh, a guy who is leading us potentially into recession, and as Joe said, into an absolute bloodbath politically, uh, assuming that we're on the same trajectory in November 2020 as we are currently. And I do believe that we're headed for that bubble b- bloodbath. I think that is the most likely scenario. It's impossible to know a year-plus out, but... If the election were now, Trump would lose to every major Democratic uh, candidate. He would get absolutely throttled, throttled by Joe Biden. Correct. That regardless of what you think of Joe Biden's uh, inability to uh, remember dates, facts, figures, even where he is... <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's the reality with uh, with Biden. Well, oh god. Yeah, I mean he he uh, is is not the guy I would want to be president. Either from a policy standpoint or from a men- mental acuity perspective because I don't think he's very bright and I do think he's he's probably too old. Uh, but uh, desperate times require desperate measures and Biden would crush Trump. Uh, but he's not the only one that would beat him soundly. And I believe Republicans would lose seats in the House, which is why so many Republicans are retiring. I think Republicans will lose seats in the Senate and might even lose control of the Senate which, as I detailed in episode number 50 of the Individual One podcast, would be the nightmare doomsday scenario, because I think there's a reasonable chance that uh, with Trump struggling so much, Elizabeth Warren ends up as the Democratic presidential nominee, and she ends up with a Democratic House, a Democratic Senate, and with Republicans and the conservative media totally and completely stripped of any semblance of credibility to fight back. And that is, is a very scary uh, scenario from the perspective of where the country would be headed from there. Uh, but uh, I, I wish Joe the best. I, if you're inclined to support him, I hope that you will. And I want, I want this to go well for him personally because he's a friend, but I also want, and even more importantly, this to go well uh, for the country. Uh, I do think it's quite possible this could backfire. This is, could end up uh, being a situation where the cult is so strong – that Trump ends up clobbering everybody to such an incredible degree that it makes him even stronger within the cult, but at least and look i 've done this many times in my life it is a it is a good hill to die on. it is a good fight to fight, even if uh, there is little or no chance of actually winning it because the interview went long we don 't have that much time uh, for other news of the week we 'll do an episode on Wednesday or at least sometime during the week, probably on Wednesday, where I can get into some of the more recent news. But there's one story that happened this week that I at least want to mention. And that is this IG report about former FBI Director James Comey. And, you know, this to me is so classic of where we are in this country. Where Comey, who I perceive to be a good guy who's a little naive and very full of himself and in love with his own virtue, who made a massive mistake when he reopened the Hillary Clinton email investigation 10 days before the 2016 election, because I think he thought, and this was rational, he thought Hillary was going to win and he needed to protect the independence of the FBI, because if Hillary won and it then came out that they had these emails and that they did not announce they were reopening the investigation for the election, the FBI was going to get crushed because it was going to look like they took a dive. Uh, for the current president of the United States. And so I understand exactly why Comey did what he did. But it was a mistake, one, because there was nothing to those damn emails, uh, as he later announced just before the election, and two, because I believe it allowed Trump to win. And then he was compromised in a completely different way. And so this IG report centered around these memos that Comey had created involving his conversations with Trump. These were the conversations where uh, Trump demanded his loyalty and asked him to go easy on then national security or former national security advisor Mike Flynn. And uh, Comey knew immediately this was bad news and he needed to make a record of it. So he created a record of it. And then after he got fired, he got accused of leaking these memos to the media. Now, (laughs) At the time, I was always saying, and I believe I'm 100% right in this, that this was a farcical accusation. Because while the content of these memos from this former FBI director did make their way into the media, technically, from a legal perspective, they were never leaked. And here's the proof they were never leaked. I urge you to go Google James Comey's memos. You will not find them in any way, shape, or form anywhere close to the time period in which the news media reported on them. They were not leaked. The media never got them. The media, therefore, never made them public. There's nothing that was made public about the memos, and there was certainly no classified information within those memos. What James Comey did was he had a friend read the memos to the media. Now, from a media perspective, it was ridiculous. And I'm, you know, I'm no fan of Donald Trump, and I kind of like James Comey, despite the criticisms I I levied at him at the beginning of this commentary. Uh, Despite all that, it is ridiculous to me that the news media accepted that as verification enough. That is not enough verification for the memos to have been news. The media should have at least seen the memos. But they didn't, because then that would actually be real leaking. But because they have an anti-Trump agenda, because this was so important and so juicy, they couldn't resist it. So having a friend read the memos to the media was enough. And Comey was forced to defend himself. Comey was being lied about by the President of the United States. He had just been fired. It is perfectly rational what Comey did. In fact, it was actually maybe too cute, too smart. And based upon the IG report... That's exactly the conclusion they came to, that there was no crime committed here. There were no class, nothing classified that was revealed. And the best that they could do was slap him on the wrist by saying that he broke FBI policy. And the conservative media went, oh, you know, see, Holmes finally been exposed. Bullshit. No, this is, this is Bill Barr's Justice Department, who's willing to do what he did to Robert Mueller, who needed to slap James Comey on the wrist so that his king, Donald Trump, wouldn't have a temper tantrum. And then Trump turns around and tries to use this as proof that Bill Barr is actually a very fair guy, because he went easy on Comey. No! No! no they didn't have squat and this was the best that they could do to save face and of course the conservative media carried their water for them it's all pathetic and the bottom line is everyone gets to believe whatever the hell they want to believe regardless of the truth correct and the truth gets lost the truth here is trump lied Numerous times, like a dozen times, publicly, the president of the United States accused the former FBI director of leaking classified information. His own attorney general's office found that was not true. Correct. It was all a lie. Comey was effectively vindicated, exonerated in this. A lot more exonerated than Trump was by the Mueller report. That's for damn sure. Correct. And and yet the perception is, you know, on the right, uh, Comey got exposed, we went easy on him. On the left, it's just more of the same bullshit. And the truth gets lost. And it's incredibly frustrating. uh, Because, you know, the Comey story is one of several that should have stuck a stake right in the heart of Donald Trump's presidency, and it didn't turn out that way. Uh, By the way, I do uh, want to at least uh, take some credit for telling you in episode number number 50 of the Individual One podcast correctly that that Lawrence O'Donnell story involving uh, Trump's loans from Deutsche Bank being co-signed by two Russian oligarchs close to Vladimir Putin. If you haven't heard that yet, I urge you to do so because I did that commentary just before Lawrence O'Donnell was forced to retract that story. Uh, and I told you exactly why I never believed it. And it had very little to do with the substance of the story. It had to do with the the way it was reported, who it was reported by, uh, and by Lawrence O'Donnell late at night on MSNBC with only one source that was unnamed and was not even directly connected to Deutsche Bank. I said, no way. That's bullshit. It might, theoretically, there might be some truth to it, um, but uh, the story as it is is not credible, and it was going to end up backfiring and working in the favor of Donald Trump. And that's exactly uh, what has happened once again, because the media is so damn incompetent. uh, They don't know what the hell they're doing. They're too eager to go get uh, Donald Trump. They believe things that are, are ridiculous. Uh, and it works very much to Donald Trump's advantage, which is a large part of that eight-part series that I wrote for Media, which I urge you to check out either at freespacedbroadcasting dot com or on our Twitter feed at Individual Number One Pod. That'll do it for this episode of the Individual One Podcast. We're going to keep the uh, percentages that we keep track of pretty much in the same place. I'll say there's an eight percent chance of Donald Trump not completing his first term in office, and a forty percent chance that he is reelected. Although that is somewhat on the more pro-Trump side than my gut is actually telling me at this point, it's mostly because I'm not of the belief that Joe Biden is going to be the Democratic nominee, even though he is currently leading in those polls. Once he collapses, which I think eventually, well, he won't collapse. He's never going to collapse. But once someone likely Elizabeth Warren speeds past him, uh, those percentages uh, will likely change. But uh, as of right now, I'll put it at 40%, even though there's a 95% uh, chance that Joe Biden would beat Donald Trump if he, in fact, was the nominee. Uh, so thanks again for listening. Please remember to uh, subscribe, rate, review, and share this via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Pod. Until next time, my name's John Ziegler. You're listening to the Global Story Network.